We, if we were have to an anchor that keeps the soul. Of the Bible. The anchor of the soul is all about, with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Romans chapter one, Paul begins by talking about the prophecies of and salvation. Now, Mike Hickson. He begins his introductory remarks by saying, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Paul there bringing to mind all those great Old Testament prophecies that foretold of the coming of the Savior of the world. When you go back and you begin looking at the Old Testament, the focal point of the Old Testament was Jesus. Those great Old Testament prophets had their telescopes pointed in the direction of the bright and morning star, Jesus, the Son of God, the promised seed of Genesis 3.15, the Shiloh to come, the one of whom Isaiah said would be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That's the one we're talking about. And so you think about the focal point of the Old Testament, pointing people in the direction of the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Son of God. And then the fulfillment of prophecy. You remember Jesus, prior to ascending to heaven, said to the apostles, These are the words which I spoke unto you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. During his earthly ministry, Jesus said to the Jews of his day, Search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And then he said, These are they which testify of me. In verse 45 of John chapter 5, Jesus said, Think not that I shall accuse you to the Father, there is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. He said, if you believe Moses, you would believe me. Why? Because he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my word? Verses 45 through 47. So those Old Testament prophets in the long ago, their focus was Jesus, and Jesus was the fulfillment of all that had been recorded about him. So the Apostle Paul brings to mind the prophecies of salvation. But then he also states the person of our salvation. He said concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. Here he's talking about the coming of the Christ. Now you remember that angel that said to Joseph in a dream in the long ago, that Mary would bear a son, and that she would call his name Jesus, for it is he that will save his people from their sins. Jesus came as the second member of the Godhead. As John said, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In verse 14, he said, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glorious and only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The coming of Jesus stands as a monument in time stating God's 
tremendous love for us and concern for our spiritual well-being. And so Paul here brings to mind the coming Christ who came through the family of David. Matter of fact, Peter would say on Pentecost Day in Acts chapter 2 that Jesus now occupies the spiritual throne of David. He has been exalted to the right hand of God where He welds all authority in heaven and on earth. And then Paul makes mention of the conquering Christ. Not only is He viewed as the coming Christ, but the conquering Christ. Because He said He was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is fundamental to Christianity. Matter of fact, without the resurrection, there would be no hope, would there? Paul states that much in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, because without the resurrected Christ, our preaching is vain, our faith is vain. He said we're still in sin. And yet listen to Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. Jesus said, I am he who lives and was dead. Behold, I'm alive forevermore. And he said, I have the keys of Hades and of death. The Lord Jesus Christ conquered death. He destroyed him who had the power of death, that is the devil. And so through the Lord Jesus Christ, we have what? We have the hope of salvation, don't we? So Paul here pictures the prophecies of salvation, the person of salvation, and then he talks about the power of salvation. In verse 16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Now here the Apostle Paul is saying, number one, the gospel is powerful. Why is the gospel so powerful? Well, it has the ability to do what? To bring about changes in the lives of people. You know, the Hebrew writer said, the Word of God is living and active and sharper than in a two-edged sword. God's Word has the ability to bring about the necessary changes in the human family. It's not just powerful, but rather it is provocative. In other words, it evokes change in the lives of people. God's Word has the ability to convict. And you know, we live in a day and time when people want to minimize the power of Scripture. And they fail to understand that this book right here has the power to elevate society to change society, to change the complexion of nations and kingdoms, cities and states, doesn't it? Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God unto salvation. You look around in our world today and you think about our country. And some of the social injustices and inequalities and prejudices that are so rampant in our society. How do you think, how do you think God can bring about a change when it comes to those issues. You think it's through legislation? Through politicians? No, let me tell you what, it's only through the gospel of Jesus. That's it. God's Word has the ability to elevate civilizations. The problem is, as a nation of people, we haven't gotten a memo. Solomon said, righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach unto any people. God's Word has the ability to elevate society. Why? Because it convicts people. It lets them know where they stand in their relationship to God. 
It has convicting power and it has converting power. The whole tenor of Scripture is to change how you think so that you might think how God thinks. Now think for a minute. Pentecost Day. Peter and the other apostles, they're preaching the gospel. And they are emphasizing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That He is now ascended. He's seated at the right hand of God. And Peter said, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that this same Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. And Luke said, when they heard this, they were pricked or cut to the heart. In other words, God's Word convicted them of where they stood in their relationship to God. And so they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, you need to repent, number one, that is change the way you think. Are there people in our world today that need to change how they think? Yes. Again, you think about the social inequalities and injustices, the prejudices that are so prevalent in our society today. How do you change that? You change it by changing the mind. Repentance is a change of mind followed by a change of actions. And so Peter said, you need to repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. So you got the power of salvation. But then Paul also isolates the people of salvation. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation, listen to him, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So what about the scope of the gospel? Listen, the gospel is for all, isn't it? Didn't we just sing that? The design of the gospel is that it might permeate every sector of society. That it might literally fill the world. Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 2 when he talked about the coming of the church. He said, all nations shall flow unto it. Jesus said, go therefore make disciples of all nations. Now, I understand the Jews. I understand their purpose in God's redemptive plan. But they fulfilled their purpose, did they not? They were the vehicle through whom the Christ came. God's intent was to save both Jew and Gentile in one body. That's why Paul said in Ephesians 2.16, Jesus reconciled both Jew and Gentile in one body unto God through the cross. There are no big eyes and little U's in the church. God's design was that the Gentiles might be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of of His promises in Christ by the gospel. So the gospel is intended to reach every single person, regardless of their race, their gender, their educational background, their economic status. The gospel is designed to save any and all. And the gospel has the power to save any and all. So you think about the scope of the gospel, but then the hope of the gospel. Paul said in Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let me tell you what, if you're not in Christ Jesus, you have no hope. You have no hope. Don't think when you step out into eternity, if you're not living faithfully for the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have not obeyed the God, don't think for a minute that God's going to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. That will not happen. The hope of the gospel is summed up in Ephesians chapter 2. When Paul said those who are outside a covenant relationship with God, they have no hope there without God in this world. But he said, now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off 
are brought near by what means? By the blood of Christ. In verse 14 he said, For he is our peace who's made both one and broken down the middle wall of partition. In Jesus Christ you have hope. Outside of Christ you do not have hope. Now I want you to think about this for a minute. When we talk about what's really important to us in this life, if I were to ask you to write down five things that are of utmost importance in your life, what would you, what would you write down? What would you say is most important in the lives of your children? Why is it in this day and time we, pray, we place a great deal of emphasis and precedence on the material to the exclusion of the spiritual? Why is it we put our focus on the things which are temporal in nature rather than that which is eternal in nature? What you think about something as a parent right now? Your ultimate goal as a parent is that you might one day point your children in the direction of heaven and that they might hear the Lord say, well done, good and fair. That's, that's the goal, isn't it? We want our children to be in heaven. And as parents, we want to set the right example. And I'm grateful for parents today who are so faithful in their attendance to our assembly services. I appreciate the great example you set, the encouragement you lend to your children. But listen, if as parents... We put more emphasis on their academics and athletics. We are going to pay a heavy price. In reality, what we're going to do is raise a generation of infants. And we're going to wonder, why is it they don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Why is it they're not faithful to the Lord? I can tell you why. Because the emphasis was on the material and the physical to the neglect of the spiritual. So, choice is ours, isn't it? I mean, you think about the hope of the gospel. As parents, we want the very best for our children. And we preach and teach and plead with people and we point people, we point people in the direction of Jesus and we say, you know, the Christian life's the best life because it's a blessed life. But if as parents, as grandparents, if the thrust of our life is not on Christ and on ultimately going to heaven, then we've missed everything. We've missed that Christ in you, the hope of glory. So there's another thought. I mean, we talk about the prophecies of salvation. We talk about the person of salvation, the power of salvation, the people of salvation. What about the price of salvation? Listen to Paul in Romans chapter 3. Paul said, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The price of our salvation was the blood of God's only begotten Son. Without that blood, we would be lost, wouldn't we? You know, the Bible says unto Him who loved us, listen to Him, and washed us from our sins by His own blood. God, in the riches of His grace, extended redemption to the human family, and it was all made possible by the finished work of Jesus. I think about the Lord Jesus Christ in the shadow of the cross saying, I have glorified you on the earth. I've finished the work which you've given me to do. The Lord Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came that He might minister to the needs of the human family. Jesus would say, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. The promise being, I'll give you rest. The redeeming work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. If people are going to be saved, it's only through Jesus, and it's only because of His blood shed on Calvary. You go back to Calvary and you see the blood of Christ 
and the power that it has, that blood flowed backward to Adam. And it extends forward in time until the Son of God will come again. And without that blood, we don't have any hope. Paul said, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. So the redeeming work of Jesus and the reconciling work of Jesus. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, his exhortation to those people be reconciled to God. Sin separates us from God, doesn't it? Do we understand the danger of sin, the consequences of sin? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And yet, through Jesus Christ, again, there's hope, isn't there? The Bible says, again, that Jesus reconciled both Jew and Gentile in one body unto God through the cross. Reconciliation takes place because of the blood of His cross. In sin, we're alienated from God, separated from God. We have no relationship with God. But then in Christ, all of these great spiritual blessings lavished upon us. You think about what a blessing it is. So we talk about the price of our salvation and what a tremendous cost it was. I like the words of Paul in Romans chapter 8 when he said, God spared not his own son, but freely gave him up for us all. And then there is the place of salvation. Listen to Paul, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. That means if we're in Christ, we're numbered among the saved, aren't we? We're no longer condemned, but rather through the blessings and favors of Almighty God, we stand in a rich relationship to the Lord. Now, where is salvation? Well, salvation is located in one place, Christ. That's what Paul said. There's no condemnation to them which are in Christ. Now, you remember in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Paul said God's grace is located in Christ. In verse 10, he said salvation is located in Christ. So what that says to me is, in order to appropriate God's grace and God's salvation, i got to be in Christ. How then do I get into Jesus so that I might appropriate all those blessings? What is it that saves me from sin? Well, it's the blood of Christ, isn't it? I've got to have faith that the blood of Christ will do what God said it will do. And what's that? Wash away all my sins. But in order to appropriate that, I've got to go where that blood was shed. Where was it shed? Calvary, John 19, 34 and 35. Jesus shed His blood in death. So in Romans chapter 6, Paul said, Know ye not that all we who were baptized into Christ, listen to him, were baptized into His death. So when we're baptized into the death of Jesus, we contact the grace of God, we enjoy the mercies of God, and we are blessed by His cleansing blood, are we not? Salvation being in Christ. Well, how then does that, how then does that happen? Well, Paul said we're baptized into Christ. Now that baptism is preceded by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 1, verse 5, Paul talks about the obedience of faith. The faith that saves is a faith that is operative or active. In other words... We take God at His Word and we engage 
in the work that He has set forth in Scripture. Now, we're not earning our salvation. There's nothing that we can do to put God in debt to us. I mean, there's nothing that I can do that would make God say to me, I owe you. No, God's grace is unmerited. So there's God's side of the ledger, what God has done on our behalf, and then there is our side, what we must do to enjoy the blessings of salvation. Again, you go back to Acts chapter 2. They cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? If there were nothing to be done, why then did the apostle Peter say, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins? So when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, repent of sin, confess His name, and then are buried with Him in baptism, it's at that point that we contact the cleansing power of His blood and are placed in His divine body called the church. Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 5, Therefore, being many members, are one body where? In Christ. So we're saved in Christ and in the church of Christ. That is, in the church that belongs to Jesus. When you obey the gospel, God adds you to His divine body, the church. Now, somebody says, well, I don't really want to be a part of any formal organization. I'm not interested in that church stuff. Well, the fact of the matter is, Christ and the church go hand in hand. You can't separate the two. No more so than you can separate Jesus from His Word. They go hand in hand. Jesus said in John 8, verse 31, you're my disciples, if what? If you continue in my word. The church is the body. Jesus is the Savior of that body. He's identified as the head of the body. The human body, the human body has a head, doesn't it? The divine body of Christ has a head. Jesus is the head of the church. So when we're baptized into Christ, God then places us in that divine body. Acts 2, verse 47, the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, Paul said, By one spirit were you all baptized, listen to him, into one body. What's the body? He's the head of the body of the church. He put all things in subjection under his feet, made him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. So when we're in Christ, we're in the church. There's no salvation outside of Christ, nor is there any salvation outside the church that Jesus purchased with His blood. We talk about the importance of the church. Listen, Paul said, Jesus purchased the church with His blood, Acts 20, verse 28. It says to me, the church is very important, very special, isn't it? It's the blood-bought body of Christ. So with that in mind, the place of salvation. Let me ask you this question today. Have you been baptized into Christ? Is your faith in Jesus as the Son of... You know, Jesus said, except you believe that I am, you'll die in your sins. Worst thing that could ever happen to you as a human individual, step outside this world of existence into eternity. Never having put your faith and trust in Jesus. Jesus said, if you do that, you'll die in your sins. And where I am, there you cannot come. Separated forevermore. So, to obey the gospel and to enjoy all the blessings of redemption. Paul said, every spiritual blessing known to man is in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul makes that argument. About 35 times in the book of Ephesians, the phrase, in Christ or its equivalent is found, which says to me, to be in Christ is very special, isn't it? So you're either in Christ or outside of Christ, and salvation's only in Christ. That's the place of salvation. Now, what about the practice of salvation? It's one thing to become a child of God. Paul said we rise to walk in newness of life. 
When we obey the gospel, the work isn't finished, is it? When we come up out of the water of grave of baptism, we are said to be babies in Christ. We are in our spiritual infancy. And the goal is to grow in Christ. But what Paul says in Romans chapter 12 is that as children of God, we are to live transformed lives. He said, be not conformed to this world. The world says you need to be like me. The world says you need to think like I think. You need to dress like I dress. You need to act like I act. And yet Paul said, be not conformed to the world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. When you become a child of God, your life dramatically changes, doesn't it? Everything about your life says you belong to the Lord. As Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So here you are as a child of God. And the world is saying, the world is saying, imitate me. And what the Lord is saying is, I want you to imitate me. I want you to follow in my footsteps, as Peter said in 1 Peter 2. To follow in the footsteps of Jesus. How do we do that? By taking this book that we call the Word of God. And taking that book and allowing it to permeate our life. To change how we think, how we act, how we dress, how we conduct ourselves on a daily basis. Why? Because that's what God wants. He wants transformed people. And not just transformed people, but consecrated people. Paul said, I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service or reasonable service or logical service. When you became a child of God, what Paul is saying is your life has changed and you're now to present your body as a living sacrifice. You know, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2 that we're priests of God, aren't we? And that we offer God spiritual sacrifices acceptable through whom? Through Jesus. So you read Romans chapters 12 through 16. And Paul there begins to talk about how the life of a child of God is a life of consecration. I mean, he talks about people who love one another, who serve one another. He talks about people who forgive one another. He talks about people who care about one another. Why? Because we belong to the King. We're changed. If as a child of God... You reflect the world, something's not right. Why? Because you are to be a holy nation. We are an elect race. We're God's own people, aren't we? God wants us to be salt and light in a world that has been marred and darkened by sin. And the beauty of the gospel, really what Paul is saying in the book of Romans is, the gospel, the gospel is for all. You know, when you read Romans chapter 1, and you see the Apostle Paul narrating the plight of the Gentile world. Turns to chapter 2. We turn to chapter 2 and we read about the Jewish world. No doubt in their minds, when the Apostle Paul gave this scathing report of the Gentile world, their response would have been, Paul, you tell them. They are sinful people. Paul said, let me tell you what, you too are in sin. In chapter 3, he said, There is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Where would we be without Christ? We'd be lost, wouldn't we? Paul said, The wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Won't you listen to Paul, Titus chapter 2. 
Paul said, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to every man. When God sent His Son Jesus to die on Calvary, He had you in mind. Did you know that? When Jesus died on Calvary's cross, He died for you. Now, I know He died for everybody. He died for your neighbor. He died for your son, your daughter, your spouse, your siblings, your parents, your grandparents. I understand that. Personally speaking, though, He died for you. And maybe one of the reasons we do not appreciate the gospel is because we haven't brought it down to a personal level. God's interested in you. He's invested in you. God doesn't take delight when people live outside His covenant. Matter of fact, in Ezekiel chapter 33, God said He takes no delight in the death of the wicked. God is interested in saving people. So what about you today? Have you obeyed the gospel? You think about how you could leave here in your whole life. You came in these doors a sinner, you can walk out a saint, a child of God. You can be sanctified in Christ, set apart. You can enjoy all these great spiritual blessings. And you can live in hope of life eternal. Let me tell you what, the train's going to stop one day. When that train stops, whether you want to or not, you will get off the train. So my question to you, if the train were to stop today, where would you be? Where would you spend eternity? Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. Listen to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love.